My name is Keith. I'm the lead pastor here, uh, and I want to welcome you here this morning. Um, in the Heavenly Father's house, the, the God who made us and loves us, there is a place for you. You don't need to put on a, a mask or pretend you're something you're not to belong in the Father's house. You simply need to say, hey, I have need to know the God who made me and loves me. And then put your trust in Jesus, the one who reconciles us to that God. There is a place for all of us here. And if you're new or a visitor, or maybe you feel uncomfortable in the space, just know that you are welcome here, and we're thankful that you are. This year as a church, we have chosen a simple focus. We want to take practical steps to follow Jesus. It's very simply, we want to follow Jesus. And it sounds simple enough, but, but what does following Jesus look like and how can we do that together? Well, there are a few pathways that we have invited you to walk. And one of those pathways is the formation experience that Chris announced uh, just a moment ago. And I want to encourage you to sign up for this, our, our, our formation experience called Live Full. It's an investment of your time, yes, an investment of two evenings and one Saturday, but the investment might just grow something new in your life. It might launch a whole new season of following Jesus in a more meaningful and challenging and rewarding way. And so I encourage you to go for it. Sign up and be part of that next week. Uh, We've also been learning about following Jesus and what it means to follow him through the stories of people in the Bible. And so turn with me to Mark chapter 5. As we, as we narrow in, I want to walk you through the story that takes place within another story in the book of Mark. So Mark chapter 5, uh, it's in, uh, starting in verse 24. Uh, and it, it, I don't know what page it's on in, in the Pew Bible. It's kind of closer to the back. You can find that there or put it into your device. Mark 5, 24 to 34. Hear the word of the Lord. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. That is Jesus. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, And yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Living God, 
I pray that you this morning would do what only you can do. That you would touch our lives and you'd make us whole. To that end, Jesus, we ask you to move us. We pray in your name. Amen. I fell in love with my wife almost instantly. We met in residence in Simon Fraser University, and, and I was moving in, and she was the first person that I met, and I saw her down the hall, and I asked her where the kitchen was. I was taken from that moment, and it's not because she knew where the kitchen was, okay? It's not because she's Italian and she makes great food. There are many reasons I fell in love with my wife, but, but one of them was her compassion for other people. I saw that from the very start. And I remember uh, on our first date, it was uh, our first date to the movies, we held hands. <laughs> and I was in love. <laughs> and I think I maybe have told this story before, I, I can't remember. And, and I know this morning Gina is serving in the kids' ministry upstairs, and so I can tell you this story and she won't even know. And during the movie, Gina was holding my hand, and, and I didn't want to move my hand, and, and she was rubbing it with her thumb, you know, kind of caressing it. I should have started the story with a PG-13 rating, shouldn't I have? And I didn't want to move my hand, but, but it started to feel like she was burning a hole in my hand with her thumb. And I held on for as long as I could. It was about 15 minutes, I think, but, but it felt like an eternity. And I couldn't take it anymore. The great Johnny Cash has said, love is like a burning ring of fire. <laughs> and it was for me in that moment. And, and, and you know, it's taken me, it actually took me a few years to muster up the courage to tell Gina that, that on our first date, I avoided touching prolonged hand-holding hand with her in the movies. <laughs> I've got a touch thing. Many people do. But touch is vital for all of us. Dr. Dachin Keltner is a professor of psychology at the University of California, Berkeley. And he says that touch is the foundation of all human relationships. In an article, uh, Keltner reviews, uh, he very, he reviews these various studies that show how important touch is to us. One study shows that, that touch improved premature babies' abilities to gain weight, which made them healthier quicker so that they could go home earlier. Another study showed that, that professional sports teams that touched one another more, meaning high fives, fist bumps, hugs, you know, jumping when you crash against one another's chest, the touch, those teams that touched more were more successful in their sport. And study after study showed how important touch is to our emotional and our physical well-being, to our human flourishing. And in Mark 5, we, we meet a woman who has been deprived of touch for 12 years. She was considered untouchable by the people around her. Verse 25 says, the woman suffered from a, a medical condition that caused her to bleed constantly. And, and, and the text doesn't tell us what that condition is. Uh, 
But most scholars say that she likely suffered from, from what's called menorrhagia, an abnormal menstrual cycle that never really stops. And this medical condition would have had some devastating impacts in this woman's life. First, she wouldn't have been able to have children. And that's a burden that some of you are familiar with. And it's devastating. But there were other social implications for this Jewish woman. Blood in her context was considered unclean, and, and contact with blood made a person impure. And so the Jewish law had all of these regulations when it came to blood in order to maintain purity before God and to make sure that you didn't pass that impurity on to other people. For instance, in Leviticus 15 in the Old Testament, it lays out regulations for both men and women if they were ever in contact with bodily fluid like blood. And Leviticus 17 or 15 gets really specific. Here's what it says for a woman. When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time other than her monthly period, or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge. Leviticus 15:25. Yes, that is really in the Bible. <laughs> it's wild. And Leviticus goes on, on to say that, that, that if this bleeding woman sits on a chair or lies on a bed, those things became unclean too, just like it would have if it were a man. Because whoever is impure for any reason, no matter the reason, they pass their impurity on to the people and the things that they touch. And if anyone now touches the unclean chair or the bed, they become unclean too. And they need to go through a bunch of, of rituals to regain their purity. And now, I know this, this all sounds really strange to us. It's, it's foreign to our ears. But there is a logic here. Impurity flows in one direction. If something impure touches something else, that thing is tainted. It becomes impure itself. Impurity flows in one direction. It's like a child who is out in the backyard playing in the mud on a wet day, but then she runs inside and climbs on the white fabric couch. The couch doesn't make the child's hands clean, does it? They make the couch dirty. Impurity flows in one direction. Or like when you add a few drops of blue food coloring to, to a jug of water, the, the whole water turns blue. It never happens the other way around, does it? The food coloring never turns clear. Impurity flows in one direction. And whenever the unclean or unholy or impure touches Something else, the thing they touch becomes unclean, unholy, impure itself. And so in the Levitical law, we're told that the bleeding woman would need to isolate herself from people until she stops bleeding. And then she would have to count off seven days 
the Old Testament law says. Seven days would need to go by where she is clean. Then she would take a bath, and on the eighth day, she would go to the synagogue with, with a couple of birds in order to make an atonement for her impurity, even though the impurity may not be her fault. That was just the way it would have been for this woman. And again, it sounds strange to us, but this Old Testament law served a couple functions in the lives of God's people. First, the law was like a mirror. The law was like a mirror that people held up in front of themselves that reflected the difference between us and God. That he is pure and we often are not. That he is holy, but we fall short of his glory. The law was like a mirror. But secondly, the, the law served uh, like a seatbelt in a car. It protected people from, uh, from getting hurt. You see, these laws, they, 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 they were given to the people of Israel when they were in the desert. And scholars suggest that, that most of these people who, who lived in the desert for, for 40 years, most of them would have died from some kind of communicable disease if it wasn't for the law. And so the law was like this seatbelt, this protection. It, it was intended to protect people. The law both reflected God and protected people. And so imagine, imagine this woman and what she went through in her life. Her bleeding meant that she had to isolate herself from other people, from her family, from her friends, from her love interests, from everyone. She was cut off from human touch. Sure, there may have been a day or two when the bleeding stopped and, and hope would fill her heart again, but remember, she needed to make it seven days before returning, and she likely never did. Her medical condition made her untouchable to people for 12 long years. But I wonder if there was more to it than that for her. I wonder if she thought God found her untouchable. And despite all her efforts, despite going broke on, on doctors and remedies, we, we read that her suffering only gets worse, and I wonder if she blamed God for it. We do that. There's no doubt she spent nights wide awake crying out to God for help. And other nights questioning his goodness or, or, or doubting his power because she never felt his touch. And maybe she thought God was unwilling to touch her life because she was just too far gone, that she was too impure, too dirty, too unholy for the Holy One. Untouchable to people and untouchable to God. And I wonder if you've ever felt that way like you're untouchable to God, like you don't measure up, like you're not worthy of his love or of his touch. Or maybe it's that you feel overlooked by him, 
And despite your, your prayers, that, that God is unwilling in some way to grant you the healing or the peace that you pray for. Or maybe you've grown up on the fringes and, and you feel like you've never really fit in, like you don't belong, and, and you resonate with this woman's longing to be welcomed and accepted, to feel at home among other people. You feel untouchable and overlooked. And if this is your story, take heart. Jesus has more to write in your story, just like he does in this woman's. And the next few words are critical. Look at the text, verse 27. It begins, When she heard about Jesus. Five simple words. When she heard about Jesus. Five simple words that can turn an entire life around. When she heard about Jesus. See, this woman had tried everything to find peace in her life. She had tried all the doctors and, and all the remedies, and I suspect she had tried all the unwelcomed advice from her aunts and uncles. You know, you should exercise more. You know what you really need is to eat more pomegranates. <laughs> she had tried it all, but none of it worked. It just left her broke and alone. But it all began to change. It all began to change when she heard about Jesus. Five simple words that can turn your life around. We don't know exactly what she heard about Jesus. The text doesn't tell us, but we can be certain that it has to do with the power and authority Jesus has to heal a person. Verse 28, if I just touch his clothes... I will be healed. The untouchable woman reaches out to touch the Son of God. She's reaching out to God in faith. And we should pay attention to her example, church. She had only heard about Jesus. She had no proof. She had no prior experience with him. She merely heard what he was capable of. And so she reaches out to Jesus in faith. What are you reaching out to God for in faith today? What do you need him to touch in your life? Later, Jesus will say to her, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. And every follower of Jesus should pause and consider this woman's example of faith. Grammatically, in the text, her faith is expressed in two clauses. The first says, if I touch Jesus. The second says, I will be healed. And I want to suggest to you this morning that the foundation of our Christian faith rests in the first clause and not the second. That true Christian faith isn't cause and effect. That if I reach out to Jesus, then automatically I will be healed. That's not faith. Because faith in the Bible is always something unseen. 
Christian faith isn't believing in the thing you really want hard enough and long enough so that God will finally grant you your requests. That's not faith. The foundation of Christian faith isn't in the second clause. Thinking, I will be healed. I will be healed. I will be healed. Rather, it comes in the first if I reach out to Jesus. That is Christian faith. If I reach out to Jesus, if I reach out to Jesus, he will act. What will he do when we reach out? We don't know. We don't know what comes next, but that's the point. That's what faith is. It's not knowing what comes next, but reaching out to Jesus regardless. Of course, we know what Jesus is capable of. It's not that we've just heard about it. We've experienced it. We've seen it. We know that God heals. We know that God heals today. We know that he can do infinitely more than we even ask or imagine. But the faith that brought healing that day wasn't faith in the healing. It was faith in the healer. And even a simple act of faith, a mustard seed-sized reaching out to God can make a mountain of a difference in your life. It can bring all the healing you really need. And so the untouchable woman, she, she reaches out in faith to touch Jesus. Verse 27 again. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. See, the woman sneaks up from behind. She's incognito, hidden. I get the impression that she doesn't want to be seen, and it's for good reason, of course. Because, remember, anything she touches becomes unclean. Remember, impurity flows in one direction. Any contact with the woman would mean a week in isolation and then a day at the synagogue. If anyone sees her, if, if she's recognized by people in the crowd, they would send her back into isolation with an 11-foot pole, an extra foot just to be sure. And so she sneaks in among the crowd, hoping to get in and out unnoticed. And she comes up behind Jesus, and she touches his cloak. The unclean touches the clean. The impure touches the pure. The unholy touches the unholy. And we know what's supposed to happen. But then it happened. The text says, immediately her bleeding stopped. And do you see what happens with the touch? Do you see what Jesus does, what he even does today? Jesus reverses the flow. With the touch, the unclean becomes clean. The impure is purified. The unholy is made holy again. Jesus reverses the flow. Mud on the white couch. Food coloring in water. Jesus reverses the flow. 
When the unclean touch Jesus, he doesn't become unclean. Rather, he makes us clean. When the unholy touch Jesus, he doesn't become unholy. Rather, he makes us holy. Jesus reverses the flow. This is the gospel, church. If you reach out to Christ, the pure, spotless lamb, he can purify you of all unrighteousness. You see, this moment, this healing, it's a foreshadowing of Christ on the cross. Because on the cross, the Holy One of God will take upon himself the unholiness of our sins. And he reverses the flow. He absorbs our impurity and washes us white as snow. He makes the unholy holy, the impure pure, and the broken whole. And it's what he did for the untouchable woman that day, and he has the same in mind for each of us today. When a person's faith touches Jesus, like the woman touched Jesus, salvation always ensues. The kingdom always comes. What's broken is mended. Hearts are mended. Minds are, are mended. Souls are mended. Bodies and relationships are mended. And I pray, Jesus, write this story in our midst. Touch us and heal us through your Holy Spirit because we are broken. And we are in need of, of being made whole. Not simply in our bodies, but, but in, our, in our minds, in our, in our thinking. In our hearts that are broken. Verse 30, it says, At once Jesus realized that power had gone out of him. And, and I've read this story many times, and, and this moment has always got me. <laughs> I wonder what that was like for Jesus. Jesus realized power had gone out of him. <laughs> Sounds amazing. I mean, I grew up watching uh, kind of uh, Transformers, and I'm thinking of this moment where, like, power is going out of Optimus Prime. <laughs> it sounds so cool. But maybe it wasn't. Maybe there is a cost when Jesus makes us clean. Maybe in order for the holy God to forgive us and make us holy like he is, there's always a cost that he bears. Like on the cross when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isn't that the moment the Holy One made the unholy like us clean? When the power left his body? Isn't this the moment that Jesus paid the cost once and for all and he felt it deeply? You see, your forgiveness and my forgiveness, your pardon and my pardon from sin, our healing and wholeness, it comes at a great cost. The prophet Isaiah says that it is by his wounds that we are healed. He was stricken and afflicted for our freedom. 
Oh, the great love of God was on display on the cross just as it was in the crowd that day. And that same love is moving among us by the Holy Spirit even now. You are loved beyond measure. And God is not intent to leave us broken and unclean. He went to the cross for each one of us. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? And again, I find this a real puzzling detail in the story. I don't know about you when you read it, with Jesus asking, like, who touched my clothes? And yes, for one, there was a big crowd around him, and the disciples are like, how can you ask us who touched your clothes? There's so many people around here. People are touching you all the time. But Jesus turns around, and, and he says, who touched my clothes? And I find it puzzling, because in the Gospels, Jesus always seems to be two steps ahead of everyone else, doesn't he? Right? He's so aware of what's going on around him. He's so aware of what's going on in people. He knows what they're thinking, even before they think it. He sees them coming. And so I find it hard to believe that, that he doesn't know who touched him in that moment. And so why does he ask, who touched my clothes? Well, I think it's because he wants the woman to know that he knows what just happened. I'm guessing that she would have been very happy to sneak away just the same way that she came, unnoticed in the crowd. Because remember, she was still unclean. Unclean in the eyes of people around her, that is. But I don't think Jesus wants to let her go with just one touch. He has more in mind for her than simply a single miraculous moment. You see, if she were to slip into the crowd, she would go away thinking, wow, this Jesus is a miracle worker. Amazing. But Jesus is so much more than that. He's come to do so much more in her life than that. He's come to reconcile her and us to the God who made us and loves us. And so he doesn't want the woman to walk away having only one special moment. He, walks her, he wants her to walk into the fullness of a life with God. And so he calls her out of hiding. And it strikes me that there are many of us who are living our Christian lives off of the fumes of a single moment with God. And maybe there was a time where God touched your life and it really changed you. And maybe it was even a miraculous moment, but, but now you feel like there's a distance between you. Like your Christian experience can, can be boiled down to a moment rather than something that is ongoing and personal. But Jesus won't let you slip away into the crowd, having only known him in a single moment of your life. He wants a whole life with you. And he wants your whole life. Just like he did of the woman. Verse 33, Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. She told him her whole story. She told him her whole life. 
And she was afraid, and, and I suspect her fear was twofold. On, on one hand, she was afraid of being outed in the moment, af afraid of the shame and the ridicule that she would receive for risking other people's purity just to be with Jesus. But on the other hand, I think she was afraid that Jesus would reject her. The text doesn't say it, but I could imagine that. She was afraid that Jesus would reject her or afraid that he would take the healing back. And the truth is, sometimes the road to wholeness with God is scary. It's risky. There's baggage to unpack from our past that might be painful. There are thorns that God wants to remove that will hurt when he pulls them. But Jesus wants to bring wholeness to your whole story, to your whole life. Not just healing in a moment, but wholeness in every single thing about you. And so church, where do you need Jesus' touch this morning? Touch is essential to our human flourishing. What do you need him to purify? or to heal, or to make whole. Reach out to Jesus in faith today because you need his touch. And his touch can restore your life. His touch brings forgiveness. His touch brings freedom. His touch is healing. His touch can replace what's been taken from you. It can restore what's been broken in you. His touch can do infinitely more than you could ask or imagine. And so will you reach out to him in faith? Because no one is untouchable. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning, In faith, like this woman, we say, if only I could touch Jesus. If only I could touch Jesus. If only I could touch Jesus, my life would be whole. And so, Jesus, let our faith touch you. And we pray that as it does, that you would reverse the flow. That you would make us pure and holy and whole. And that you would pour into us a river of your mercy and your healing and your freedom. And that Jesus, you would do what only you can do. We love you, Lord. We lift our voice.